acquaintance be Look, Daddy. Teacher says. <laughs> yeah, you know the rest. <laughs> Great way to start. Exactly. That's what I always associate with that song. Not New Year's or drunkenness or. <laughs> Did you kiss anyone at midnight, Greg? Uh, only myself. Oh, a toast to myself. Yeah. Not not that you because Greg doesn't kiss and tell. No, absolutely. I'm not that kind of woman. Of course. John, what what are your New Year's resolutions though? What do you, what do you plan to do uh, in 2018? Not be fat. Not be nice. poor. We'll see what happens. Uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. I I too have a plan to be less of a uh, pear shaped dullard this year. <laughs> pear shaped um, dullard. Yes, that is until I hear the siren songs of French fries and soda and beer again <laughs> in about a week and a half. Marvelous. But John, one other resolution I has. I uh, has. <laughs> I can has resolution. I can has resolution. Were I, were I to have this cheeseburger of a, of a wonderful <laughs> podcast that we have, yep. I, I have one more resolution, and that's to expand my, my cultural horizons. Okay. Yeah. See new things. Experience new things in the cinema. Just anywhere. Okay. Okay. All right. Agreeable. Agreeable. Yes. yes. And with that in mind, you and I went to the, took a little jaunt to the cinema, didn't we? Yes. We saw a small little independent movie. Yes, uh, jump, but what has become a cultural flashpoint. Yes. And the biggest release of the year. That's right, it's Aaron Sorkin's Molly's Game. I'm Molly Bloom. Do you know about me? I read your indictment after I got your call last night, and I brought your book. Do you understand that you are charged with operating an illegal gambling business? Are you taking me on as a client? I don't think I can convince my partners to take a flyer on the poke princess. If you think a princess can do what I did, you're incorrect. I'm getting that you don't think much of me, but what if every single one of your ill-informed, unsophisticated opinions about me were wrong? I'd be amazed. No! <laughs> we know how I feel about Aaron Sorkin. I, I know. I know how everybody feels about Aaron Sorkin. However, John, come on. This has lit the world on fire. We have to talk about this. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not playing into this. I'm not playing okay, into you're it. not playing Molly's Aaron's, game? I'm not playing... <laughs> I'm playing Molly's game. I'm not buying into your Aaron Sorkin fanboyism, okay? I'm not a fanboy at all. I just like the social network, really. <laughs> you you love... I Look, if you ever took <laughs> the time... Steve Jobs is an execrable movie. <laughs> oh, really? You didn't like that? No, I, I, I rewatched it on an airplane one time, and I'm like, oh, this is bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is tragic. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe maybe that uh, lays more to the feet of Danny Boyle. Uh, yes. No. Oh, heck no. No. Because no. it's never never the director's at fault. <laughs> no, all right. Fair enough. Yeah, whatever, whatever good things uh, come out of Aaron Sorkin's mind is the result of a director. Anyway, we're way off topic. Listen, John, let's have the last word. Everyone else has already talked about it. It's already out of everyone's mind, but let's let's rump them back in. Star Wars! <laughs> when I found you, I saw raw, untamed power. And beyond that, Something inside me has always been there. But now it's awake. And I need help. Right. <laughs> Finally, people are ready to hear our thoughts on Last Jedi. And yes. Because they haven't received enough thoughts on Last Jedi. 
there hasn't been enough white guys talking about Star Wars yet, so let's talk about it now. Yes. Uh, Greg, I have so many thoughts and emotions, because I am okay. a huge Star Wars fan. They are in my well, top when favorite you say, Okay, let's, let's qualify. When you say huge, okay. you enjoy the movies. You are not one of these people who goes to Star Wars celebrations, dresses up like Qui-Gon, and <laughs> reads Wikipedia every day. No, 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 no. I, I don't have any miniatures. I don't have any collectibles. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I didn't do a reaction uh, to the trailer on YouTube where I screamed <laughs> and cried. So, no, I'm not that big a Star Wars fan, I will admit. But as a lo- lover of cinema... They, they definitely pull at the heartstrings. And before I get into it, because I will go on for a few hours, why don't you tell me your initial reactions? I had a wonderful time. This is a mm. great time at the movies. And so I'm on board. I give this film a hearty thumbs up. I had a great time. I, yes, I will agree with everybody else. It's very clunky <laughs> in terms of the comedy, pacing, uh, character development, all that kind of logical stuff. However... In terms of, like, I paid my money for a fun space adventure, and I got a fun space adventure. So, I mean, what's not to like? Honestly, this was the perfect antidote to Rogue One. <laughs> because The Last Jedi, in spite of all the dark pretensions and what I thought would just be a retread of The Empire Strikes Back, it is uh, thankfully not that. Instead, no. it's, it's much it's more... Be- it, because it's, it's, it is a retread of The Empire Strikes Back but it's also a retread of Return of the Jedi and a retread of a million other things, <laughs> Star Wars adjacent. <laughs> well, okay, retread. I mean, it has those little, it has those little touches. Like, the, the Force Awakens also had these touches of Empire Strikes Back in it, and this has touches of Return of the Jedi in it. However, again, it wasn't a complete, as I said, retread. So, again, I was thankful for that, um, even if all the jokes didn't land. And, it's, and it, yeah, it's a pretty joke-heavy movie, mm. in spite of how seriously mm. some of these people take take this material mm. but mm. i <laughs> i had a wonderful time i'm just sweating all bullets you right nerds, I'm, exactly. I'm, I'm just all sweating you bullets. nerds can eat it this is what star wars should be <laughs> i'm just gonna i'm just sweating bullets right now getting my getting my opinions ready <laughs> <sighs> okay john go ahead so i'm a lover of film and i'm a lover of star wars yes but yet the last jedi has torn these two things asunder what how dare <laughs> they you? have they have cleft in twain <laughs> cleft in twain <laughs> my opinions because as a film it's great it's fantastic awesome time at the movies mm-hmm. as a star wars film it's abysmal it's insulting oh, abysm- oh, no, it's, it, it is oh, it just it it, it oh, riled no. me up it oh, got me oh. down in the pits of my heart and i'm like no this isn't how you do it this isn't how it's done. There's a tradition. I did think about that because I, I have the same feeling about uh, James Bond movies. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm a huge James Bond fan. Not a super fan where I like pretend, <laughs> where I dress up in a tuxedo <laughs> and pretend to be British and have a. Vodka he goes martini. to Bond Con every year. Yeah, Bond Con. <laughs> Why is that not a thing? Yes, exactly. Yes. However, I do. You're right. I do have those expectations. I'm like, okay, every Bond movie should have a great uh, action opener, followed by sexy ladies dancing in a title sequence, followed by you know fun dialogue with Money Penny. It has to hit all these beats. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I'm amenable to changing that formula if what you replace that stuff with is just as entertaining or insightful. And I feel that's what I got in terms of this movie. I mean, what are the, some of those things that you thought were missing early on? One of my biggest problems was the opening crawl, because usually a lot of time has passed between Star Wars movies, so the opening crawl is kind of important. In this version, it is literally three paragraphs telling us nothing new. Well, yeah, so it's just to set up, this is kind of a reset. Mm-hmm. 
the the force the first order, aka the Empire Two, uh, <laughs> Empire is still Two, in power, Bubble. and the Resistance, sorry, uh, uh, Rebellion version two point three or something like that, is now on the mm-hmm. run. Yeah. Again, so yeah, wherever we were at kind of the end of Force Awakens, we're kind of in the same place. Mm-hmm. And then it just it it does so many things different to a typical Star Wars movie. One of the biggest things that was also glaring to me was the use of flashbacks. There's never been a mm. flashback in a Star Wars movie. We've seen like visions okay. and we've had like dream sequences, but we've never had a flashback. But again, they kind of need that because they're trying to tell a more complex story, which yeah. I do also I have to appreciate. So yes, on the one hand, as someone who enjoys film, I'm like, "Oh, I do appreciate the fact they're trying to go for something a little more complex and you can't just do it strictly through editing," which mm. Yeah, this movie has amazing editing. I think that's probably the highest uh, the highest highlight of this film is that the editing is quite frankly amazing. But again, like there's Star Wars films are supposed to be extremely linear. They are literally just they don't jump ahead, they don't jump back. They just here's where we start and here's where we end and it's just and again, it just adds to the whole jumbled mess of it personally for me. Okay. Because again, the timeline of this movie does not add up at all. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't we why don't we explain that a little bit? Yes, there are flashbacks. Luke and Kylo Ren have some disagreement of where they split apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luke Luke being Luke Skywalker, played by Mark Hamill. I'm not <laughs> yes. sure. <laughs> Wait, Lu- yeah, Luke and Kylo Ren. Uh, Kylo Ren was a, a student of Luke Skywalker. Obviously, given the last movie, we saw that Kylo Ren has gone to the dark side. He was uh, twisted and manipulated by uh, Snoke. Mm-hmm. So um, Luke, as a result, has kind of gone into hiding. And so we finally catch up with him here. Uh, our new main character, Ray, has come to him, returning his lightsaber and being like, you know, we need your help. And he's like, eh, no. Yeah. And again, leading us to the other major criticism of this movie, it has too much of what I've dubbed Marvel womp womp humor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Which Although, is, which I, yeah, I, I don't even blame Marvel on that. I think it's a Disney thing. Oh, absolutely, yeah. You can yeah. definitely tell that Disney wants Star Wars to be its next Marvel franchise. Yeah, and same in tonality, too, yeah. For those who don't know, Marvel womp womp humor is whenever things are getting a little too dark, a little Mm -hmm. too serious, you have a joke to undercut the tone. Yeah. And this movie definitely... No matter how clunky and silly it is. (laughs) And this movie definitely does that way too much. Yeah, that's true. Like, I think the most egregious example for me was when uh, Ray is training with the lightsaber. Luke is not really training her. He's watching her from afar, and it's a very intense scene where she cuts this rock, and then we see the rock tumble, and it, like, breaks up a bunch of, like, groceries or something, and all the indigenous aliens, like, look up at her like, why? And (laughs) just, like, really, like, that was such a good moment. That I know it landed for me. I thought it was fun. No, no. No, the more more egregious example is at the very beginning – it's where the Force Awakens left off. Uh, Ray is extending his lightsaber to Luke. Luke takes it. He looks at her, and then he he mugs everyone in this film overacts yeah. just slightly. <laughs> he mugs and then does this like comedy toss over the cliff. <laughs> yeah, like he doesn't give a shit. Yeah, and it complete and yes, it. I know a lot of fans have complained that it completely undercuts the seriousness of the scene and the whole mm-hmm. you know importance that the first movie set up. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking, uh, fine. It works. I had a, you know, I mean, some people have also uh, had disagreements over whether Luke Skywalker should be should has has progressed into this grumpy character who doesn't want to be involved in the uh, Resistance's fight against the First Order, who doesn't want to doesn't believe in the Force anymore, who's completely disconnected from everything around him. You know, whether that was a natural progression, I'm thinking, 
Yes, because when you grow older, you grow more cynical. I feel it, you know, even though I'm only 30 years old right now. <laughs> like, I want to go out and live in the woods and be left alone. No, and it does kind of go with the overall message of the movie, which is about kind of hope and when things are always darkest before the dawn. But that also adds to a kind of jumbling of tones that this movie is trying desperately hard to juggle because we do get that kind of final shot, which for me was way too saccharine and sweet. Yeah, well, I guess, again, like this this has been a divisive movie. Mm-hmm. Obviously hugely successful at the box office, but yeah, it's kind of divided fans. Um, not so much critics. Critics have all been uh, yeah, universal, overwhelmingly crazy. positive. But yes, I, if there's one greatest sin that this movie has <laughs> is that it doesn't set anything up for future installments. <laughs> that is absolutely true. And so the the fi- the ending shot it has none of our major characters, but it the implication is like, oh, anybody can use the Force, and there's going to be a new generation after this. But it's exactly. so kind of vague, and and what I really I get this being the second act of a trilogy, like people really wanted like a cliffhanger or darkest mo- darker moments or just something to really kind of propel the trilogy forward. And the movie doesn't really offer that. Well, I mean, again, going back to obviously the lineage, this is meant to be kind of indicative of the Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. And it does kind of end in that same place where it's like the resistance literally has been wiped out. Like literally the remaining members of the resistance can fit on the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they are all that's left. Yeah, And I, I do kind of appreciate that, and I wouldn't have minded if they kind of figured out a nice tableau to kind of include everyone there instead of going back to this, again, this kind of like C-plot, you know, casino planet, which also <laughs> I feel like didn't fit. Again, it's like well done, so I can't really hate it, but again, it's just like going with the timeline and the pacing of this movie I didn't like that kind of whole section as much as the rest of it. Yeah, we should also explain there are three main threads we're following mm-hmm. here. There's Ray and Luke on this Ir- on this uh, Irish island. <laughs> <laughs> the planet of Ireland. Yes, the, planet, the weird planet of Ireland. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a rebel cruiser that's trying to escape from a giant star destroyer or something like that. Yep. Then there's Finn and a new character named Rose, uh, mm-hmm. two kind of low-level people in the Resistance, but they go off to find a codebreaker. Exactly, so that they can... Because the reason why the uh, Resistance is being tracked is because the First Order has some weird sci-fi gobbledygook that allows them to track them. So they need to figure out how to stop them to end this prolonged chase. And I do like the kind of prolonged chase, but again, it kind of throws all the other timelines into flux. Because it's like, this is meant to be like this kind of slow crawl chase through space, and then the other ones, it's like, it feels like weeks has gone by. Yeah, yeah, I didn't like that. I. Mm-hmm. Again, if there's if there are issues with this movie, one of them is that pacing thing because we're always cutting back to uh, the uh, first order just ping ponging the ship. <laughs> I'm like, okay, let's move on, or we're on this island again, which is just a rock in <laughs> in the Irish Sea. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, okay, let's get somewhere else or find somewhere else on this island to look at because again, I'm just seeing rocks and ocean. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think of of all these plot threads. What I most liked was Finn and Rose going to the casino planet. <laughs> now, yes, the production design is reminiscent of prequels, mm-hmm. and it definitely has the most, the silliest, the most saccharine setup because there's a horse race or a, a, a sci-fi fantasy horse <laughs> alien race. alien horse race. <laughs> yeah. Again, there's silly gamblers. You have uh, the introduction of Benicio del Toro mm-hmm. coming in from I don't know what movie he's in, but. <laughs> It's Benicio not a Star del Toro Wars movie. There's there's stuttering. There's um... he he's Benicio del Toro playing the Benicio del Toro character because yes, he's, he's playing right in his wheelhouse. Yep, he's he's uh, playing a guitar solo at the classical concert. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but I, again, and it was definitely the silliest storyline, but it's the one I most responded to. There's this really cheesy moment where they let the uh, captive horses free. Exactly, yeah. And, and they he all, said, and like, they well, all we got escape. what we wanted, and Rose says, like, no, now it's all worth it, you know? <laughs> and I was like, yes, thumbs up. This is a silly Saturday morning cartoon. And I thought, perfect. <laughs> yeah, and I do, I do appreciate that. That's the fact that you're, you mentioned that everyone's kind of overacting a little bit. But again, uh-huh. That's classic Star Wars. Star Wars is supposed to be a little operatic. It's supposed to be a little over the top. So also it didn't mind so much with the saccharine sweetness, because again, this is elevated emotions. But that's what made me hate the comedy so much, because again, it's Marvel womp womp humor. It's like, oh, don't worry, we we cut that loose. Don't worry, if you were close to feeling anything, don't worry. (laughs) You can separate yourself. You're dead inside, just like us. I, yeah, I, there's one issue, not only with the womp womp humor, but also something I'm seeing in a lot of Disney movies is kind of the invulnerability of characters. That is true. Because that, that scene kind of, where, where these two plot lines come together is that uh, Rey is convinced that she can turn Kylo Ren back to the good side. Mm-hmm. So she gives herself up to this, uh, this First Order ship, and at the same time, Finn, Rose, and Benicio Del Toro, again, I don't know his name, let's just call him Benicio Del Toro, are trying to crack the code so that the uh, rebel cruiser can escape. Mm-hmm. And they all fa- they all fail. That's a key. That's a key component of this movie is that they all fail. Mm-hmm. Um, however, they all kind of like get out of their predicaments like un- pretty much unscathed. Exactly, and and that's know, and like that's there's a huge problem, like there's a huge like a ship gets like torn asunder. And oh, yeah, everyone and ends most, up like, living. Dramatic sequences of the year. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that was like a... that's the most beautiful shot I've seen all year. That one silent shot. Again, you've got this loud. Uh, like bizarrely and like incredibly entertaining uh, Star Wars movie, and in the middle of it is ten ten seconds of dead silence, and it's gorgeous. It's yeah. absolutely gorgeous. But again, that's not Star Wars. Star Wars is wall to wall sound, and also no one touches the vacuum of space in Star Wars movies. This is true. Yeah, we have to. This is this is the other th- the problem I have mm-hmm. is that Star Wars movies are held to such a level of scrutiny. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> so but that's what makes them fun to talk about. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned the vacuum of space, probably the the clunkiest or silliest sequence in this whole thing mm-hmm. of one in which I I don't even know why it was needed. <laughs> I, was, again, because um, you needed to put Leia out of commission so that you can have that. Uh, at one point, Leia's put out of commission. You think yeah. she's gonna die? Because obviously, uh, Carrie Fisher's not appearing in any more of these movies, sadly. Yeah. Um, but she, so she's in the vacuum, she's blown out of the window. She's in the vacuum of space, which has never happened mm-hmm. in a Star Wars movie. And again, you see the ice forming on her face, and that's like, that's too scientific for me. Okay, where's the pew pew lasers <laughs> and the laser swords? I know, especially early in the sequence, they. They have they drop bombs in the middle of space, <laughs> as far which is fine to me because again this is a complete fantasy. Like yeah, let's let's say there's gravity in space and let's also say uh, I don't know. Hey, the, technically in the first movie, the Millennium Falcon has two planes of gravity. So <laughs> exactly. Again, I'm fine with it. Yeah, but again, like to get like that realistic with it to actually yeah. like have the ice crystals forming on her face and the vacuum of space that was like this is too scientific. This is not what I expect from a Star Wars movie. But then, of course, and then it undercuts. Why the hell? It. Like, why can't we just have her like out of commission? Why did she have to fly through space? <laughs> <laughs> because they needed to show that she uses the force. She okay. can use the force because, again, she's the daughter of Darth Vader. She has that lineage. Okay. And again, but... it's 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 a surprise. It's like we've never seen Leia use the force before. Again, they're trying to do something different. They're trying. Mm-hmm. They're trying so hard. I've seen this raw strength only once before. 
doesn't scare me enough then. It does now. Let the past die. Well, John, actually, let's let's get on to, I think, one of the high points in the movie, mm-hmm. and that's Daisy Ridley as Ray and Adam Driver as Kylo Ren, and we get to see them interact a lot, which is fantastic. Oh, yeah, and it's great the way they do it, because they're force-connected. They're literally yes. connected across the galaxy, and the way it's framed is they look like they're on either side of the room, even though they're in completely different locations yeah and it's cut so perfectly galaxy yeah yeah it's cut so perfectly i loved it Mm -hmm. cut perfectly um and a little echo of empire strikes back because if everyone remember if everybody remembers at the end of that movie (laughs) luke is uh shot out of the garbage suit he's he's hopeless there's no chance of rescue and he calls out leia and leia Mm -hmm. somehow hears him through via the force (laughs) i'm assuming well also when he gets picked up he's on his like on the medical bed and he like calls out to his father and then we see vader respond in kind so again, there's that. Uh, it's it's like poetry; it rhymes. Mm-hmm. And then that also leads to the best sequence when they're on this uh, uh, the Return of the Jedi bridge. <laughs> yes, they're, they're now we've now we've entered Return of the Jedi, and mm-hmm. let's let's talk about the big twist, which oh, yeah. I will admit I loved because I loved it too. Halfway through the twist, I remember thinking Snoke is such a boring villain. I am, it, it's a I terrible am, name. He's a boring villain. Yeah, there's nothing interesting about him. I don't want to hear his backstory. And then, surprise, they killed him. And I'm like, yes. Ha, that's great. <laughs> yes, Ray and Kylo Ren look at each other and then cut to slow motion. I'm like, yes. I, I became, instantly became a fanboy. <laughs> I thought that sequence was great. I, I, I yeah. loved that twist. I thought that was fantastic. Because, again, like, like just cut the chaff. And again, it's a complete surprise, uh, subverts expectations, because you think he's going to be the big bad for the rest of the series, and it's like, nope. Yeah. Now, if there is one demerit, though, is that they don't kind of quite follow through with it. Because um, following that, I mean, they defeat, they obviously kill Snoke, they defeat all of his um, all of his uh, minions, mm-hmm. <laughs> cool red-suited, red-suited guys. Oh, I thought you were talking about the little yellow guys at Universal Studios. <laughs> <laughs> No, these are awesome badass, uh, badass red samurais. They're available, bar- at tar- available at Target now. <laughs> you can get them but, as a Christmas tree ornament. Yes, but following that, uh, Kylo says, "Hey, let's just lead the galaxy together." Yeah, or let's let's uh, let's let's lead the First Order together and kind of reframe things. But unfortunately, the exp- uh, Ray's like, "Well, what about my friends? What about you know?" Luke Skywalker or something like that. And so, like, whatever partnership they had is instantly dissolved. Exactly. It seemed like there was a chance of redemption for Kylo, and yeah, turns and out it, it was false promise. Exactly. And if I was playing script doctor again, <laughs> please do. Yes. Don't worry. The doctor is in. <laughs> what I would do is maybe cut out, carve out the next um, thirty minutes. At the same time, oh, uh, absolutely. It looks like, uh, Finn that and last Rose. that last Hoth battle was so unnecessary. Well, I mean, not not unnecessary. I mean, they did a good job of setting up that you know. Again, we have a big bad first first order and this tiny little resistance that doesn't even have spaceships with guns on them right now. So I, I did like that sequence. However, I would what I would have done was carve out thirty minutes. Ray and or sorry, Finn and Rose get their execution like commuted or something like that. That's that's what saves them. Mm-hmm. Is now Ray kind of in charge. 
But then Kylo wants to go to Luke's planet <laughs> and literally wants to blow up the whole thing. Hmm. And that's when and that's when uh, Ray objects says, like, no, don't what, like you've still got anger and revenge in you. Mm-hmm. And that's that was what would split them apart. So you had this weird 30 minutes and you could have a little more interaction between them. Hmm. But again, I just want I just wanted to maximize that. No, really. see, I wanted it to end with uh, Laura Dern blowing up that ship. Oh, that would have been great too. Yeah, I think it would have been great if they just ended there and they everyone got away, and everyone was fine. Instead, yeah. we get one more sequence where someone tries to heroically save themselves, and then it's like, no, that's the bad way to go. <laughs> and it does. It is important because even though it worked, yeah, yeah, we haven't even talked about Poe Dameron. Oh, there's so much going on. Um, <laughs> Poe Dameron's big arc in this movie, and which is a nice arc because again, he yeah. didn't get enough to do in the Force Awakens. Is mm-hmm. uh, he's the flyboy. He's the one who's by the seat of his pants, and he's just going to be a rogue and just go in and shoot everything and blow everything up. Turns out, you know, a lot of people get killed needlessly when you do that. So his kind of arc comes to a conclusion in this final... I keep calling it the Hoth battle scene, because that's what it is. That's pretty, uh, yeah. <laughs> and now it takes place at the end instead of the beginning. You know. It's not snow, it's salt. Who gives a shit? Yeah. Anyway... <laughs> Um, those are ATF. Those are ATFT Walker. Those are ATAAT Walker. <laughs> <laughs> so it brings his uh, story full circle because he realizes strategic retreat sometimes is the better option. Yeah. And but then we get that stupid moment with Finn and Rose, where Finn yeah. tries to sacrifice himself and Rose saves him. It's like, no, we need to live on to fight another day. But. You know, Laura Dern just sacrificed herself to save everybody, and that's okay. I know, yeah. So there's a little mixed messages there. Um, <laughs> yeah. One message I did like that I know is con- causing some consternation among fans. Mm-hmm. Um, they're holed up in this facility, and it looks like, oh, there's no way out. Like, literally, there's only one entrance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there are these little uh, foxes, like little crystal-covered foxes. Um, buy them now at Target. <laughs> yes, buy them now, yes. Which makes no sense, because it's, if it's a planet covered in salt, then there's no vegetation, <laughs> so there's no food chain, so why are there little canines running? <laughs> and why are they made of ice crystals when it's not an ice planet? Explain I that. Know, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, they find out, oh, the little foxes have found, this, found a way to escape. Mm-hmm. And so, like, yeah, they're like little porgs again that you can buy now <laughs> on Amazon. <laughs> but um, I did like the the amount of creativity that went into all the creatures and things like that, and how it's how there's like a connection to nature instead of all the technology, sort of. That is true, yeah. That I liked, and again, it was I thought it was reminiscent of that trench battle in the in the first Star Wars movie, where instead of using his targeting computer, Luke uses the Force. It's the same here, like, oh, our sensors say there's no way out, but you know, yeah. really, nature, uh, life uh, finds a way. <laughs> And Ray gets to lift rocks, and we get yep. one more womp womp joke like lifting rocks. This is what Jedi do. No, that wasn't. I know it. That it was a womp womp moment. That was a womp womp. Like, let's yeah. It could add a greater impact. Like if you see in her training, like she can't lift rocks or something like that. Yeah. Oh, when we saw the uh, X wing under the water, I thought, oh, it's gonna raise up just like on Dagobah. But yeah, exactly. But it did. It, it subverts our expectations. And it that's does all subvert your expectations. I just yeah. wish it could do it less sloppily. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 sloppily done. You're right. Again, for Star Wars fans, like what the, what's not included? Like again, like fun piece of trivia: uh, two lightsabers technically don't hit in this movie. That is a nobody fair hits, point. Yeah, nobody hits a lightsaber with another lightsaber. So mm-hmm. again, like uh, glad you do something different. But for some audiences, I understand if you know what they replaced all the tropes with in a Star Wars movie, like weren't good enough for your taste. I mean, that's fine. But whatever, that's what you deserve, nerd. <laughs> Well, and then we need to talk about the other kind of big twist, which I also loved, and I had a sneaking mm-hmm. suspicion, well, I'd hoped this is what they would do, and I'd never thought they would actually have the courage to do it, 
So I want to give him credence to this, which is we find out the truth about Ray's parents. Oh, this is, yeah, this this I really enjoyed. Yeah. And this is what I was always hoping they would do. And they I'm glad that they had the courage to do it. Turns out mm-hmm. Ray's parents are literally nobody. They are no one special. It is not important. It's just she's just gifted with the force just because. Yes. And I think and that's great. A, yeah, and it comes out in this great scene with uh, this great reconciliation with Kylo Ren. Mm-hmm. And he says, like, so essentially, like, since you have no lineage with the force, like, you're nobody, but mm-hmm. not to me. Mm-hmm. And again, I wish they kind of followed through with that. But yeah, it's it's great. It's it's exceptional writing and great performances by these two really charming actors. But it does tie with the theme at the very end, that final shot where we see a little kid, you know, using has has mild force powers, and it's inspired looking to the galaxy. That yes, you know, whatever comes next, it could be anybody. So exactly. And gladly, we're not tied into just the Skywalker family. <laughs> we have this whole universe to play with, but it's only, it's always the Skywalker family that has to be. It's always just somehow. the Skywalkers. <laughs> yep. And literally, now they have no more uh, of the original three to use. So, yep. Because well, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure they'll bring back well, Mark Hamill as a ghost or something. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, what did you think of Yoda Ghost? <laughs> I I thought it was fine because it wasn't it wasn't too fan servicey. No, yeah. I guess right. maybe that's that's my other uh, point of appreciation for this. There's there are no like stupid nods or you know, I'm thinking of Rogue One where you have the oh yeah the guy with the crooked face and the other guy from the bar and in, in the first Star Wars just popping up for no reason. Um, you have C3PO and R2D2 popping up for no reason. Exactly. So I'm I'm glad there's there's none of that. Um, and I'm glad when uh, Yoda does have a, a key scene. Where he explains, like, okay, Luke, even though you failed, like, let's learn from this. Let's move on. You don't, exactly. you don't have to cloister yourself on this island or, you know, stick on to the, stick to these old traditions. Yeah, I mean, again, the normal person in me appreciates mm-hmm. them trying to do things differently, but the Star Wars fan in me says, no, this isn't right. Okay, <laughs> yeah. there's no paper in the Star Wars universe. Why do they have books? <laughs> there is no That's paper. A good point. Yeah, there's never any. Yeah, wh- where do these books come from? <laughs> Well, that's for the prequel, uh, Jedi, yeah. a Star Wars story, <laughs> twenty twenty. And apparently, yeah, and apparently, this is the, this island has the Tree of Life. Yet yeah, nobody's heard of this planet. Uh, I yeah. <laughs> well, also, it's like it. It's implied that you know, oh, uh, Luke Skywalker hid in the farthest reaches of the galaxy. He literally went to where the Jedi originated from. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Okay, a uh, little plot hole there, but not a great hiding place. That should no. be the first place people look. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Why didn't they look there first? Anyway. <laughs> Maybe those weird, uh, the weird squawky ladies, <laughs> those weird squawky nuns, uh, drove everybody away or kept him hidden for all these years. That's the that's the one thing we were missing. We needed a porg scene where a porg says something and then says like, "Oh, you said it, buddy." <laughs> that's what we, I want. That in every Star Wars movie, I want a character saying something that's unintelligible and someone responding, "Language." And yes. <laughs> well, we did get that. That we did. Classic. Yeah, at the very beginning, Happy Beach. Oh yeah, buddy. I forgot. Yeah. That's a cheap move. I know. <laughs> yeah, so there are some good laughs here. I, I got to say the most. Um, what was the one that landed the most solidly? Um, oh, for me. It oh, was yeah. The, for me, it was the porg. The eating of the porg. The porg. Yes, it was the eating of the porg, and then um, because again, yeah, that like, scene was set up to be comedic. Yes. Again, it is a setup and a punchline. It wasn't like this is a dramatic scene that we're squeezing a joke into. It's literally like this scene exists to be funny. And implication for the plot, it's designed to distract Chewbacca from Luke Skywalker sneaking onto the ship. And Exactly. And reuniting with R2-D2. So, again, the movie just works. It works. No, I, I'm not going to lie. It does work. I just, mm-hmm. as a Star Wars fan, I have to hate it. And I have to give it 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. 
and I have to I have to set up bots to also bomb it, and you know it's 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 a lot of pressure, but you know I I do it unsubscribe I I do what I can as a star. Wars yeah, fan. and you have a plan to confront Kathleen Kennedy and Ryan Johnson at the next Star Wars celebration, saying ah uh, you know what <laughs> I have a question. <laughs> yeah, and you have your whole notebook of questions and, and arguments to you know really take it to them. <laughs> yes, stick it to the stick it to the man. Yes, I am the resistance. <laughs> John, that's not the only divisive fantasy movie to come out this winter season. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> John, get ready for a Netflix extravaganza. <laughs> Why is that not used for all their marketing materials? I don't know. I got Netflix call me. I got some I got some copywriting chops for you. <laughs> but available right now on your Netflix machine is the latest joint from Will Smith, David Ayer, and Max Landis and Joel Edgerton and a few other people. <laughs> That I did not recognize, because they're yes, under terrible, I'm... terrible makeup. Yeah. Well, we'll get to that. The $90 million blockbuster that nobody's talking about, Bright. Officer Ward, what happened? I got a dude in my car, and the whole world is watching. Our nation's first Orcas police officer. I can't fuck up my pension. Hey, don't get me stabbed. Why works always got to be the bad guys. Danger, danger. So that night, we responded to a 415 disturbance call. Immediately took fire. Yeah, no holes. Only the ones I was born with are your holes. The fuck can you make a shootout awkward? Yay! (laughs) You didn't even have to go to your theaters for this one. No. And thank goodness. (laughs) It's not very good. (laughs) It's not very good. Womp womp. There's that, there's that classic <laughs> hey, Marvel. Marvel. I, I, can, I can write jokes for you, too. <laughs> Disney, call us. <laughs> um, no, this movie's... I, it's it's not as abysmal, I think, as the critics are kind of uh, ribbing it. But uh, No, yeah, it's, 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 it's not very good. Torn apart. It's got a very poor score on Metacritic and Rotten mm-hmm. Tomatoes. I mean, do you, uh, let's talk about the, the concept. Yes. I, I think it's a neat idea. So, basically, the concept is... Imagine that we're in the Lord of the Rings universe, mm-hmm. and that took place like way off in medieval times. But now it's present day, and all the politics are kind of the same. You have all these different uh, races, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, elves, humans, orcs, goblins, you know, all that stuff. Now living in present day Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So well, that's a, that's an interesting idea, like kind of transporting all the all the politics of Lord of the Rings to and the modern day. This movie does nothing with it. I do. <laughs> at, no, what it does is at one point at one point we get a wide shot of uh, overhead shot of Los Angeles, and uh, we see far away in the distance a dragon flying overhead. <laughs> that's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> and again, that's it. 
that's as, as fantasy as we'll go in the background it's it's all background noise <laughs> yeah it it doesn't do nothing with it john it makes trading day out of it no it makes <laughs> that's the issue that's, it makes training day it, meets zootopia out of it <laughs> yeah that's true because the main plot is uh, Will Smith plays a cop, and his partner is an orc, the first ever orcish cop. Mm-hmm. Um, again, just like Zootopia with the first ever you know, <laughs> rabbit cop. Yeah. And it gets to, and Will Smith, again, with iRobot, gets to live out his fantasy of uh, being prejudiced against other people. <laughs> Will Smith, a, from a position of authority. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Will Smith is the, the actor you always call whenever you have a screenplay that's problematic. And it's like, it's okay. No, it's okay. It's okay. We got Will Smith on board. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, because basically what the, what it does with these modern-day Lord of the Rings politics is make orcs uh, Hispanic gangbangers, pretty much. <laughs> Black slash Latino gangbangers. Yeah, yes. that's true, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, even though even though uh, Latino gang members still exist in this universe, it's, it's pretty clear. <laughs> so we pulled double duty. Good job, guys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty clear what the politics are. Society is really run by the elves. You know, mm-hmm. make it whatever implication of that what you will. You know, well, it's because they have magic. Yeah. No, John. There's no magic. But they have magic uh, wands. They do have magic wands, but it's been kind of exiled from the modern world. And so that's the other crux of the plot, is uh, Will Smith and his partner, played by Joel Edgerton, basically stumble upon a magic wand. Mm-hmm. And they basically, and everybody wants this magic wand, because I, th- I think somebody does make a good analogy. It's like a, it's like a nuclear bomb that grants wishes. <laughs> yeah, like, it's not like there's anything specific it can do. It's just the possibility of what it could do is what draws everyone to it. Yes. Because, again, it's magic. Like, yeah. there's nothing it shouldn't be able to do. Um, but the thing is, there is a, a certain subset of creatures in this story called brights. That's where the yeah, title this, comes from. Yeah, this this is where yeah, this is where we we really get into the woods. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, I'm not even gonna bother. Yeah, the movie's called Bright because there's a special subset of people who can actually wield magic called brights. But blah, 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 blah. it's boring. <laughs> and I gotta say, yes, this movie is like eight different. This movie is uh, a little bit of uh, Training Day, a little bit of Lord of the Rings. Becomes the Mat- Matrix briefly. It becomes Minority <laughs> Report briefly. <laughs> And you know, I it's like it's like entertaining enough. <laughs> I gotta say, it's not it's probably not as bad as what you're gonna read on the internet. But I um, mean, it's like all these things. It's very confused. It's very dry at times. It's good background noise, so I guess it's kind of appropriate for Netflix because yeah, not that much it. exciting things happen in it, and it mm. doesn't really hold your attention. So yeah, or whatever exciting things do happen is cloaked in darkness because it all takes place over one night in Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, it's got a run all night kind of plot driven mm-hmm. element yeah uh, and it's all covered by lathered by makeup and elaborate production design <laughs> well okay and then the biggest problem which other critics have pointed out is that the characterization mm-hmm. is very inconsistent because the characters just kind of change on a dime based on what the scene requires so for instance when will smith is with his cop buddies and they're all complaining about having an orc on the force he has to stand up and be like hey he's my partner i trust him yeah now cut to the next scene where he's alone in the car with his orc cop buddy. This is when, hey, I don't trust you, okay? you got to have my back. I don't want to hear about your, you know, blood tie tribalism bullshit, like blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and for the first act, you know, those two scenes would have been fine. But let's repeat it three or four more times (laughs) just so we get it. Just so we get it. 
That's true. It, uh, there's a lot of redundancy. We should say that the main plot, or at least the subplot between these two characters, which I wish they'd focus on more, mm-hmm. is we start in Medias Res. Uh, they're partners on the force, but the orc cop plays by Joel Edgerton lets Will Smith down. Mm-hmm. He gets shot in a robbery, and uh, the orc lets the perp get away. Mm-hmm. And it's and implied... so there's there's kind of like a redemption arc behind that, and that that I wish that we kind of focused on. Instead, yeah. we get all this nonsense about brights and all this exposition about blah 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 blah. I just and the other thing too is like Joel Edgerton's character, he, depending on the scene, is meant to play kind of well. He's always earnest, but sometimes yeah. that's played for laughs because he's dumb. Sometimes it's played because he's honorable. Like again, nothing's consistent and. I, no, he's, he's and, trying his best. He's yeah. He's, <laughs> well, I was gonna say like Joel Edgerton's not the most expressive actor. That's true. That is and true. to put him behind all this makeup, but I gotta say, I th- I thought the makeup was actually was really good. <laughs> uh, yeah. There's a little there's a little articulation in the ears. I th- I wish there was a little more variety to it because again, it's That's we true, still yeah. have all these races of humans. We still have whites. We still have blacks. We still have Latinos. But yet all orcs come in blue. Nah, that's true. What's um, that about? Yeah. <laughs> At least in World of Warcraft, some orcs are tan. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I, yeah, it, they could have done that better. But in terms of also, um, they have this little uh, apparatus for these teeth. Mm-hmm. These teeth come out, and there's one great monologue by the guy who plays Piscatella in <laughs> Orange is the New Black. <laughs> and he's got these giant teeth, but he's still like very articulate. Mm-hmm. So I again credit credit is due there too. So I thought I thought actually you know solid A on the ma- on the makeup job. Um, Edgar Ramirez plays an elf <laughs> who's he's appropriately pasty I guess, and he wears ridiculous suits. So it's, yeah, the weird Apparently, medallion. I, I, let's also speak of costume design. He's got this cool medallion or whatever. I thought oh that is pretty badass. I'd wear that all the time. <laughs> Believe I can take out all the weapon that grants wishes and it just went really sideways from that point if only see magic strong and kill the devil is coming we have to protect the wand so i need to know that you got my back you cop first or an orc first it's time to end this fuck it i want to die let's do it we're going to titty bar gunfight die. Butterfingers. We were doing so good. Let's talk about Max Landis, shall we? <laughs> do we have to? <laughs> yes, we do. We need to talk about this. So... It- if you're not a Twitter <laughs> maven, mm-hmm. you may not know who Max Landis is. Max Landis is the son of legendary filmmaker John Landis and the writer of some notable movies like Chronicle, um, the reboot of Victor Frankenstein. Uh, he was one of the developers of that Dirk Gently detective show or whatever. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like a good kind of like just working writer. Just, you know, just kind of could be just anybody well, yeah, in, if, in the industry. He could he, just be anybody in the industry, John. He but should he? try to be anybody in the industry. Because <laughs> also given his writing talents... That's something else I wanted to bring up. I've got a chance yeah. to watch the first season of Dirk Gently over yeah. the Christmas break. And not a bad show. I like it a lot, actually. But the problem is, again, for someone who thinks that he's God's gift to writers everywhere, <laughs> he fills his stories with so many tropes. And again, this is no exception. This is just a buddy cop movie. 
and that's really all it should be. But he calls this his Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, that's the other part. Like, Max Landis, again, should just keep his mouth shut. <laughs> really, and if you talk to... And I wish he would, because I can't stand to hear him talk for more than two minutes. No, um, absolutely. He will dominate the room. He, he dominates every interview he's in. And again, as we'll tweet, uh, like, 23 hours out of the day. <laughs> and again, like... I think I think like he's a good enough writer or whatever. They're like good enough moments, like that that little arc where the partners like trust each other again, and yeah. you know the story behind that, like that worked. Like, no, he's know, not a up yeah, he's not a bad writer. He obviously understands structure. Um, yeah. He tries to come up with good premises, but uh, like again, he's not an, as an amazing writer as he obviously thinks he is. <laughs> no, <laughs> and I think that's the biggest problem. And look, kudos to you. You got to be proud of your work if you're going to be an artist. But uh, like. <sighs> Or have this enormous ego that he clearly has, too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just dial it back a little bit, buddy. Yeah, so, again, just dial it back. And also, something we learned from uh, Star Wars, <laughs> learn from your failures. <laughs> because I, I'm also thinking, like, yes, he has this very forceful personality. He, he obviously ex- explodes into every room that he probably enters. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I think it's a consequence of um, having kind of a hit when he was younger. That was Chronicle. Mm-hmm. And so, like... Again, I don't know how that works in your head when you're successful when you're only 26 or something like that, or your mm-hmm. first time out. So, yeah. again, I don't, and I don't know how that how that kind of affects the psychology. But like, yeah, just maybe, maybe just learn to again dial it back. <laughs> <laughs> just do the best job you can, and you know, don't make a big fuss out of it. <laughs> Take your ADD medication. Yeah, and just mellow out a little bit, bro. Come on. Yeah, just me- yeah, mellow out a little bit. Um, yeah. Again, this, and I'm sorry if you thought that this was your Star Wars. I'm sure there are a lot of other young artists who want to, <laughs> who have their personal magnum opuses. Um, but bro, sorry, this is not. <laughs> well, the other that's thing, not... the other thing that's annoying about him is he, yeah. you know, he writes these screenplays, and then as soon as the final product comes out, he disavows it immediately because it's like this is not my vision come to life. I... <laughs> Well, until it's successful, I'm assuming. <laughs> okay, there, yeah. Then yeah. he'll be like, oh, yeah. But I don't think he's ever, besides Chronicle, I don't think he's had a successful movie. <laughs> no. No one's talking about that Victor Frankenstein movie anymore. <laughs> no. no. Oh, John, who knows? It could be part of Universal's Dark Universe, whatever, whatever the hell they decide to do with it. <laughs> See, they were doing it. They, they should have done it right, which is like, keep pushing out these monster movies, and when someone actually likes one, then it's like, oh, yeah, this is part of our universe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I again, I don't know what kind of fate they had in Dracula Untold, but <laughs> with Luke Evans, who's even less expressive than Joel Edgerton. Ouch! Ouch! He's trying his best. They're all trying. Their I, best. Sure, they are. <laughs> all these Australian dolts. <laughs> yep. I'm sorry, John. I can't. I can't. I, let's stop importing these these blocks of Australian wood. All right. <laughs> no more Sam Worthington. No more uh, Russell Crowe. No more. <laughs> Ouch! Wow. Yeah, no more of these guys. But no Russell Crowe... Uh, oh, what's his... Oh, Russell Crowe's paid his dues. Okay? I'm, I'm sure he has, yeah. I mean, he was great in The Mummy. He was the <laughs> best... I mean, granted, you know... <laughs> it's like saying... It's like you're the one real piece of fruit in the fake wax bowl, but, you know... <laughs> I, okay, I mean, well, I don't know, I haven't seen The Mummy, so... He has fun with it. He's the only right. one having fun, because, again, he, right. get, he gets to be Mr. This Hyde. This is a dark universe, John, this is a serious business. <laughs> <laughs> he gets to be Mr. Hyde, and he eventually, he uh, he uh, adopts a Cockney accent, it's just, it's fun. Okay. Yeah. Someone take me! Are we friends? I think we should spend our time just trying to survive this shit. If we do this... We'll be heroes forever. 
to take your fat Shrek looking ass back to fuck home to Fiona. All right. So again, I don't know what else we could say about Bright other than you know a few good, a few good little ideas and let's scenes just kind of sprinkled into you know a lot of a lot of David Ayer. Let's garbage. just push it. Let's just push it out of our minds, just like everything else in your Netflix queue. Just let yeah. it, let it slide into oblivion. Yeah, I was gonna make a a, a bowel movement analogy, but <laughs> <laughs> that Greg, he's so mature. Indeed, I am. Mm. But John, that's not the only recent release. We've also seen at the movies. Yes. Let's talk about one of the best films I've probably seen all year. Lady Bird. I hate California. I want to go to the East Coast. I want to go where culture is, like How New in the York. World did I race or at least snow. Connecticut or New Hampshire, no, where writers live in the woods. Get into those schools anyway. Mom! You should just go to City College. You know, with your work ethic, just go to City College and then to jail and then back to City College and then maybe you'd learn to pull yourself up and not expect everybody to do everything. <laughs> Ladybird, is that your given name? Yeah. Why is it in quotes? I gave it to myself. It's given to me by me. Ladybird always says that she lives on the wrong side of the tracks, but I always thought that that was like a metaphor. But there are actual train tracks. Ladybird sits <laughs> high on banana tree. I know that's not the right song, but I like that song. Anyway, <laughs> you just wanted the excuse to sing it. Exactly. John, go. You're a Greta Gerwig fan. Yes, I am. Mm-hmm. And uh, she does a spectacular job. Uh, solo directing and mm-hmm. solo writing. Yep, this is a, her directorial debut. Fans of the show know I'm not a huge fan of Noel Baumbach, but there is one film of his I appreciate, and that is Frances Ha, which was written by Greta Gerwig. So mm-hmm. I was looking forward to this movie, looking forward to her directorial debut, and also this is based on her kind of experiences in Sacramento. Yep. And, uh, kill surprise, it's a delight. It's a fun little movie. And very emotional. Very emotional. Yeah, it, it feels... Re- I was surprised how true to life it feels. The closest kind of analogy I could make was Juno. Mm-hmm. But strip out all the kind of quirkiness of Juno. Yeah. And, of course, the, the teen pregnancy subplot. Um, <laughs> Adam, I, I will say, again, kind of sticking with the realism, you know, nothing nothing that major kind of happens in Lady Bird. But, again, strip away, like, the, the cutesy and the little, like, uh, cartoon uh, opening sequence. The, the sound bites, the tweets, you know, the, the catchphrases, <laughs> like, honest to blog, you know, <laughs> get rid of all that stuff. And what you have is just a straightforward, very delightful coming-of-age story. Mm-hmm. About a teenager. Um, with some of her mom, my only objection to this movie is that every critic says, oh, it's about a, a teenager, a relationship between a teenager and her mom. And that's only like half of it. <laughs> yeah, but it still gets, it's a big chunk of the movie. You make it, it sound like the chunk. mom's know, barely really, in it. No, really, it's about Lady Bird, played by Saoirse Ronan. Well, yeah, she's really the title character. Exactly. But it, there wasn't enough Laurie Metcalf or whatever. <laughs> I thought there was enough Laurie Metcalf. I mean, yeah, okay. you can always use more of her. But absolutely, I I thought that she got a fair shake. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love that scene with the airport. I cried. Oh yeah, it was. That's a very sweet sequence. We should say, um, the main crux of the movie is that uh, Lady Bird wants to break out of the doldrums of Sa- Sacramento and mm-hmm. go to college in New York City. Mm-hmm. Her mother obviously objects; they can't afford it. And obviously, as a mother, she doesn't want her child, you know, three thousand miles away. Exactly. And also, her family is doing everything they can to support her and her brother and her sister-in-law. And obviously, Lady Bird is not really seeing that. She's not really appreciating that. And again, it just causes conflict and drama. Yes. Um, and we should. Why you say like Lady Bird's not really seeing that? Mm-hmm. This is a huge point in this movie's favor. And I noticed one other review kind of point this out. Mm-hmm. Is that everybody is adult in this movie? <laughs> 
How do you mean? Not really, not really adult, but every every character has like really earnest flaws. <laughs> yes, absolutely. In that there's no real, not really heroes in this movie. There's no one like truly exceptional. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's kind of the key to life because we see, um, and it's really indicative of kind of her experiences. Um, Lady Bird, even though she wants to go to school, she's not a very good student. Yeah, exactly. And uh, again, and her family can't even afford to send her out there. Yeah. To an out-of-state tuition school. And uh, her first... Uh, she does show an interest in theater. Mm-hmm. And so her local Catholic school stages, a, I think, a Sondheim play <laughs> or something like that. No, no, I, no. Again, it's, I just it's, looked at that. It's, it's Mary We Go Along, which I don't think is a Sondheim play. But Okay, yeah. whatever. I just saw a colorful turtleneck, so whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but in any event, it's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> And then she falls in love with this uh, Howard Zinn reading, you know, uh, artsy cool kid or whatever. <laughs> well, I think, and he turns out to be just as big a shithead as anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that's what uh, that's what I love about the whole theater aspect is because everything she does is performative. She that's dyes true, her yeah. hair. She wears this very specific jewelry. She kind of acts out in school again because she's putting on a facade. And then yeah. you see that happen with her friends. She uh, obviously kind of is attracted to whoever can kind of help her achieve this life that she wants. Mm-hmm. You know, ultimately, she likes to think it's like, oh, this is more earnest living. Really, she just wants to be rich. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, not rich. I, I do like that idea. Again, I didn't see that, like the kind of performative aspect, but also kind of like leeching off others because she has this great relationship with her friend, mm-hmm. um, whose name I can't remember, unfortunately. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Julie. Julie, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, she has a great relationship with his friend. Um, however, her first boyfriend is the lead in the theatrical performance, so mm-hmm. it's like she—it's like she—that's her way of attaining the lead, you know, the lead mm-hmm. status. Yeah. Uh, but when that relationship uh, goes awry, that's when she befriends the rich girl in school. Exactly. That I believe has like a convertible. Yeah, and she's and she lies about which house that she lives in and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. She pretends um, that she's just as rich. As her other friends, she pretends that she's just as interested in their stuff, or pretends like she, like there's one moment where, you know, they're all going to ditch prom. And she says like, okay. And then she pauses and waits and is like, I really want to go to prom. Yeah. She's earnest. She's honest with herself. Yeah. And speaking of which, again, that you think that whole scene would become a big thing. Like, you know, <laughs> characters were being like, no, like, don't you want to be one of the cool kids? You know, there's nothing <laughs> Yeah, really... it's not overplayed. No, yeah. Instead, the, the her boyfriend at the time just was like, okay. <laughs> I mean, granted, the, uh, one of the flaws of this movie is there are some times that do get a little too cartoonishly over comedic. Like the foot- I didn't think so. I mean, there, no, there are solid laughs in the movie, but I didn't think there was anything like too histrionic or over the top. The football coach teaching the theater. I'm okay. That <laughs> that I, that that's the only one. Um, but I, I couldn't. I could scarcely think of anything else. Any other missteps this movie had? I'm trying. There was some other character who kind of came off as way too cartoonish to me. I can't remember now. But uh, like there were times like that where I was like, because again, like this movie does traffic very well in verisimilitude, and it does have. A great kind of timeless quality, even though it does have all these hallmarks. It's very specifically takes place in 2002, 2003. The whole mm-hmm. soundtrack is very 2000, two, uh, 2002, 2003. Everyone's still, you know, reeling from 9-11. You know, the Iraq war is always on the news. Yep. Um, but well, again... It, not the Iraq war yet, John. The conflict in Afghanistan. Fair enough. But it's like, it doesn't... Get your facts straight. It, it doesn't, like, try to oversell it like a movie that takes place in the 70s or the 60s would. Where it's no, like trying yeah. to give you an idea of what the decade was like. This is very much like, this is a very specific time period. Here's what's going on. And maybe it's yeah. because we all do remember that time period very specifically. That's why it kind of feels a little more real. 
it doesn't feel like it's kind of like a cartoonish <laughs> representation of it where it's like, oh yeah, everyone was listening to the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and yeah. all along the Watchtower. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have, the, it's not like a field, we talked about Field of Dreams having this abstract idea of the 60s. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, oh, everyone's emblematic of the 60s, you know, protests, Berkeley, you know. <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't have that idea. I, I, we should probably speak to this personal bias, though, mm-hmm. is that like the lead character, Lady Bird, we also attended uh, a Catholic school in the early 90s. Oh, this movie was like tailor-made for us. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, again, I, I saw those little details, like the uh, the school uniforms or whatever, the baggy pants on the boys. Oh, yeah. All the, all the clothes shirts. are oversized. You know, those oh. little touches, yeah. Oh, that was so us in high school. <laughs> yeah, Making out with boys in the bathroom. All right. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wearing uh, Doc Martens instead of dress shoes or whatever, because they were more comfortable and cooler. (laughs) So yeah, those little touches that just make it feel just a little bit more authentic. Yeah. I mean, that's probably another reason why this is the most critically lauded uh, movie of the year. It's very Mm -hmm. pitched towards white people, let's be honest. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Actually, you're you're absolutely right, because there is, um, Lady Bird does have an adoptive brother and sister. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, who are Mexican. So obviously, you know, it, it plays into that white savior narrative. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, like, the, you know, at w- uh, one of my other favorite points is, like, at one point, Lady Bird is complaining about the fact that Miguel got into Berkeley and she didn't. Mm-hmm. And she kind of implies it was an affirmative action thing. It's like, I never even put my race on there. Oh, yeah, I'm sure they couldn't tell, Miguel. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, that speaks to that speaks to how, again, nobody's like a, like a true hero or completely yeah. admirable sort of... And how honest that feels. Mm-hmm. And again, like the other thing I love about this movie is the fact that it is pretty seemingly low stakes, but it's still very palpable drama. And mm-hmm. I love the line. My favorite line of the whole movie is like, things can be sad. Not everything has to be war. Like, yeah. like Lady Bird has an issue. She cries about it. She's like visibly upset. But someone's like, you know, in Somalia, like every day someone tries to like high road her and she's like, shut up. <laughs> and so <laughs> like, I like, I don't know. I just love the tone. Of, I love everything about this movie. This movie's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it's very good. Yeah. yeah. I will say, um, I saw it a few weeks ago now. And <laughs> yeah, so it's not as fresh in my mind. So uh, when there is nothing like kind of histrionic or nothing stands out as a movie, mm-hmm. like, uh, again, like the, the, what does stand out is those little emotional moments, like um, Lady Bird's mother uh, dropping her off at the airport. And you see just a close up of her face as she drives away. Oh, yeah. It got to me. And again, don't make me think about it. I'll cry again. <laughs> yes. <thanks. laughs> well, and what's most tragic, again, what feels really true to life is, um, again, she can't park there. She has to circle the block and, you know, she mm-hmm. doesn't want to say goodbye. She obviously objects to her going to school in the mm-hmm. Northeast. And so um, she doesn't want it. She doesn't want to say goodbye properly, sort of, yeah. or like, again, show any signs that she actually approves of this. What? Um, and it's, but well, then she, you see in that, you see in that, uh, in that scene, that close-up, that yeah, she has a she has a change of heart. She comes back, but Lady Bird's already gone. Yeah. Well, no, and like this is a pivotal moment because this is how you can tell the mother is really mad. The way she communicates with Lady Bird is very passive aggressive. It seems very critical, but again, like that's how she shows her love is the fact that she's paying attention. Yeah. It's like, oh, are you tired? Because you're dragging your feet. I just noticed you were dragging your feet. Are you tired? <laughs> Do you want to sit down? And again. The most harrowing scene is at the beginning of this fight. The mother is just going about her day doing dishes, and uh, Lady Bird is trying to talk to her, and she will not respond. Yeah. Like, say something to me. It's the silent treatment. That's the worst mm-hmm. punishment you can receive. 
Yeah. Um, and, and again, there are lots of great scenes. Again, when I speak to everybody being adult, I mean, just mm-hmm. everybody not being perfect. Mm-hmm. The other scene that's emblematic of this is um, Lady Bird has uh, just struck up a romance. Um, she's in the shower with her mother. And because, they, again, they have to share one bathroom. Mm-hmm. And she asks her mother, um, what's, what's the age you start having sex? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, <laughs> instinctively, uh, the mother's first question is, are you having sex? <laughs> <laughs> And Lady Bird says no, and there's this great pause there, and she goes, um, when you're in college, maybe? (laughs) Again, she doesn't know. (laughs) Exactly. So, again, you see characters kind of, again, being, like, having their personal failings, and it just makes it feel that much more authentic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very good film. I loved it. Yeah. Does mom hate me? If you're tired, we can sit down. I'm not tired. You were dragging your feet. You are so infuriated. Please stop yelling. I'm not yelling. Oh, it's perfect. Do you love it? You both have such strong personalities when is a normal time to have sex you're having sex i'm ready just wanted it to be special why you're gonna have so much unspecial sex in your life Ah! we're afraid that we will never escape our past whatever we give you it's never enough it's never enough it is enough we're afraid of what the future will bring we're afraid we won't be loved. You can't do anything unless you're the center of attention. We won't be liked. Yeah, well, you know your mom's tits, they're totally fake. She made one bad decision at 19. Two bad decisions. And we won't succeed. I want you to be the very best version of yourself that you can be. What if this is the best version? Lady Bird, fantastic. Again, I, I'm going to say, I'm going to give thumbs up to all three movies we talked about. <laughs> um, Very mild. Okay, okay, maybe Bright, not so much. <laughs> I, I definitely cannot recommend Bright. I can definitely recommend The Last Jedi and Lady Bird, highly, mm-hmm. for both of them. Okay, yeah. yeah. Run out to your Lady Bird, yeah, again, deserving of all the accolades. The other two, you know... Mm-hmm. I guess I I'm in a very forgiving mood. I guess I'm the I'm the king of I'm the king of absolution this year. Well, it's it's the Christmas spirit. It's the Christmas spirit. It's the holidays. You're just you're in a you're in a got a pep in your step. It's a new year. Yes. Time for a pre- fresh perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mediocrity's everywhere. <laughs> I absolve you. <laughs> uh, do you want to talk about anything we saw uh, separately? Of course we can, John. Okay. In a segment we call Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. <laughs> oh, I didn't think we did spotlight for R and R. All right, you're know, you're changing great. it up on me now. No, no, we did, we did. All right, fine, fine, fine. Yeah, technically we did. I mean, because when we do see something independent of each, of each other, mm-hmm. John, is there another movie from 2017 you saw? I saw Pitch Perfect three. <laughs> <laughs> I can just tell from your voice, <laughs> just your enthusiasm for this project is just it's off the charts. You you love you are Aka excited. I can tell. <laughs> Um, I, I can't I can't hate it because it's, again it's just as sloppy as it's always been. <laughs> like I, well, honestly, I really liked Pitch Perfect too because Elizabeth Banks directed it, and mm-hmm. as opposed to the first one, which is trying to be like an earnest like college drama at times, like that is just kind of like a joke a minute gag fest. It's like how yeah. far can we push push this to like Anchorman direction, and you can kind of sense them trying to do it in three as well but uh, they try to hang a lampshade on it and they try to go meta with it because at one point a character goes like is there a competition we always need a competition 
get it because there's always a competition in these uh, movies, yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah. And okay. then it's like, okay. all right, hold on, movie. If you're not going to try, then why should I care? Okay? Well, because they need a December movie product, John. <laughs> <laughs> and this was, uh, this was the surefire bet. And Anna Kendrick and Rebel Wilson were still available. <laughs> well, and again, like... Pitch Perfect, the original, is just such kind of like a small potatoes movie. Like, to extend mm. it to three movies now, it just kind of feels like it's running on fumes. Like, nobody's yes. fault. It's just, you know, this is something that can't sustain a trilogy. And so you yeah. have Elizabeth Banks and, uh, oh, what's his name? That announcer guy who's, who's been at I, I don't know. Uh, Wayne Jarvis. Wait, yeah, <laughs> he will <laughs> always be Wayne Jarvis <laughs> Wayne. from Arrested Development. Because, unfortunately, he's a, yeah, I think he's a funny actor. He's just never had that starring quality. <laughs> no, yeah, and he's in everything, and he's hilarious in everything. Yeah, but again, they're back again with like the flimsiest excuse to be here. It's like they're doing a documentary to record the Bellas, but they're it's after they've already graduated college, like, and their lives have not panned out. And I'm supposed to feel sorry for them, but I really don't, because <laughs> mm. it's also like played for laughs how pathetic they are. That the fact that mm. their like lives have so been ingrained in this kind of like acapella contest singing thing that now they're all trying to like move on and they can't. Mm. Uh, I don't know. It just for me, it didn't work. Even though there are a few funny moments. Okay. I uh, Pitch Perfect Two is fine. Just watch Pitch Perfect Two again. <laughs> the only inspired moment I would say is John Lithgow plays Rebel Wilson's father, which is an inspired bit of casting, which oh, they couldn't, which they couldn't really advertise because he was already playing Will Ferrell's father and Daddy's Home <laughs> Two. But he's giving like a fun. Uh, He's doing an Australian accent. Uh, I hope. I should hope so. Yeah, it's, it's very funny. And again, he's like a. He's like a rich man about town. It's it, it's pretty amusing. John mm-hmm. Lithgow's great and everything. So Absolutely. if you need to see it for one reason, go for the Lithgow. Okay. <laughs> go for the Lithgow. That's that's advice for life right there. Yeah, go. 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 Can't you see we don't watch you anymore? Go. <laughs> John, again, we're just this is just a tear filled episode. I know. It's just so emotional. Just so many <laughs> between highs. Between the and death lows. of Carrie Fisher, between uh Ladybird, that's that pivotal scene in Ladybird, and now John Lithgow and Harry and the Henderson. It's just nothing <laughs> gets me riled up like Star Wars. I just got so riled up with Star Wars. <laughs> What what did you see, Greg? Without me, okay. Well, I saw the Disaster Artist. <gasps> Ooh, fun! Yes, starring James Franco. And as somebody who read the book on Witch in Space, I must say the book is far superior. <laughs> this is just, no, I was, this is just a nerd out hour. <laughs> exactly. Um, as a cinephile, I know the room. I know the whole cult of the room. So mm-hmm. that was my fascination with reading the book. It's a very good book the disaster artist i I recommended it a few weeks ago Mm -hmm. and obviously this being a movie it's a completely different thing so my opinion is going to be completely divorced of what i think of the book (laughs) okay (laughs) yeah and uh but still in spite of like very good movie really i think yeah Uh, well i'll say pretty good i'd say it's um it's kind of a down the middle you know straight kind of good bio biopic project i think well and i think Part of the reason why there might be some issues with it is because, again, this needed the blessing of Tommy Wiseau. Exactly. Yeah, and so one of the major complaints I've heard about it is the fact that it's not as biting as it could be, or it doesn't have as no. much of an edge as it possibly could, because, again, Tommy Wiseau, a.k.a. the worst actor, writer, screen director of all time, yeah. <laughs> is in charge. So, Well, that's also, I don't think that's a, yes, I understand that criticism, but I don't think that's a, that's a story that people want to see. Okay. I think they'd rather see the silly, eccentric Tommy Wiseau. Okay. And that's what you get out of the movie. I will say, um, 
of the high points, like James Franco as Tommy Wiseau, like mm-hmm. good, mm-hmm. like thumbs up. I think a lot of uh, a lot of actors could probably do a really good job with Tommy Wiseau. Mm-hmm. Heck, I think Tommy Wiseau can do a good job as Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> I should hope so. <laughs> yeah. Actually, no. I want to see him try to play himself and do it badly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he probably would. Actually, he'd probably put, try to put on a different accent as uh, James Franco does in this movie. Okay. <laughs> So that's that's a point in the movie's favor. I will say another big point in the movie's favor is that it looks nothing like The Room. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, James Franco is obviously the director of this. Um, if you know anything of... Uh, James Franco's uh, directorial filmography just avoid because he <laughs> he does these these crappy quickly shot low uh, low budget uh, adaptations of uh, Lost Generation uh, classics like Indubious Battle and mm-hmm. um, As I Lay Dying and stuff like that. Again, they're like shot in a weekend with all his friends and they're all wretched from what I hear. <laughs> He's just trying to catch up on that student film period that he lost. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but this is very well done. It's it's a kind of a documentary style like very take like everything's kind of handheld um a lot of single shots which is disappointing i'm assuming that's because this movie has a, this movie casts a lot of stars um mm-hmm. again it's james franco as tommy wiseau it's his brother dave franco as uh craig sestro who's obviously got his own career mm-hmm. um seth rogan like paul Shear, like working actors sort of so it like i think that's a kind of discredit to the movie is that like you know not everybody could be in the same room at the same time mm-hmm. And then one thing I like, one deviation they make from history or the book is that actually um, Tommy goes away. He writes this screenplay and he shows it to Greg Mm -hmm. and he says, I'm going to produce it. And Greg obviously knows it. And Greg's like, oh, really? Like, good. And he just reads it. And you actually have no sign that this movie is wretched. (laughs) Oh, okay. So unlike the book, uh, Greg Greg read it the first time, like, he knows it's terrible. But what they do is they show him, like, oh, like, good for you, Tom, you're going to make your own movie. And the first scene they show is, uh, like, an intense scene between Chris Har and Denny. Mm-hmm. And and on set, everyone's like, oh, that was that was very well done. Like it's an intense like fighting scene or something like that. And everyone thinks, oh, it's very well done. And for an for from an audience perspective, you you actually lull yourself into thinking like, oh, this can work out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. But then they put Tommy in front of the camera, and they're like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also the other major criticism I heard about is the final shot where the the climax of the movie is that initial screening. Yeah, so that's the that's the climax of the movie. Um, again, like this this is only like a hundred minute movie. They really have to compress time here. Mm-hmm. So yes, it, it climaxes at the premiere of the movie, and, and it, it inst- basically and it instantly it becomes a yeah, and instantly it becomes a so bad it's good hit. Um, that's not exactly how yeah the initial showing obviously didn't turn into the midnight now like let's all laugh at it kind of showing that it originally now it is. But. Yeah. So it, yeah, not not entirely successful because as as others have pointed out, it's like that um, threatened level midnight episode of <laughs> of The Office or an episode of Doogie Howser where you know somebody tries to put on a show with a movie, everybody laughs at it, and mm-hmm. then you know the creator's obviously disappointed, but then another character comes out like, well, but look, they're laughing, they're having a great time, and so <laughs> it's okay. You brought joy to people. Exactly. Yeah. Sure, they're laughing at you and not with you, but let's mm-hmm. just pretend. Yeah. <laughs> So yes, it has that, but and it kind of hits all those little like biopic beats. Um, 
for instance, uh, Tommy Wiseau was pretty much a, <laughs> a disaster artist himself in that he was always late, uh, mistreated mm-hmm. people, you know, was trying to pinch pennies and things like that. Again, not a, not a, not a good character in reality. Okay. Um, but here they kind of explain it as like kind of like a like an infatuation with Greg, and when he uh, has a girlfriend or something like that, he acts out in a certain way or something yeah. like that. Okay. So they're trying to they're trying to fill in like the little psychological things so that you kind of understand where his character is instead of the um, instead of the you know, quirky, weird, weirdo that he is. <laughs> the kind of unknowability of the true Tommy Wiseau. Exactly. Tries um, to put him into this box because there's some things that just aren't meant to under- be understood. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and, and that's actually probably the movie's biggest demerit in that, um, even, if, even though I do recommend it, it's that this is such an unconventional story. Mm. It is kind of a shame to see it kind of told in such a conventional way. Okay. To, again, like kind of hit all those biopic, you know, beats and, you know, kind of come out triumphant at the end. So, you know, that's that's a little bit of a shame. But, you know, there's still several good qualities in it. So I'd say okay. I'd, I'd recommend it. You know, if you don't have to rush out to theaters, maybe when you see it in Redbox, go ahead and get it. Okay. Yeah, it's probably better than The Mummy. I'll say that. <laughs> um... Hmm, I don't know. <laughs> that that that's what's going to be competing for Oscars this year. Does in, in supporting does the, character in supporting character James Franco, the disaster artist, Russell Crowe, the mummy. <laughs> does the disaster artist have Tom Cruise hanging out the side of a airplane? Wait, no, wait, that's Mission no, wait, Impossible. No, no, he's Why? inside the airplane. Yeah. <laughs> Why is he always on these airplanes? <laughs> I know. Again, he loves he loves those cargo planes. He loves those World War II airplanes. <laughs> Oh, well, this has been a long one. This has been a very long one, John. But yep. again, it's it's important consumer advice. We are here for you, and, and if we can give you some more consumer advice, mm-hmm. let's let let me know on a little secret. Oh, oh, oh! I'm 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 all ears. Go ahead. Yes, we have some of the best social media channels out there today. Just the best. We're yes, on we Twitter. Have. We're on Facebook. We've and carved out our own little space on these on these huge global platforms. And just that's for us. all we need because it's yeah. that good. Why do we need to waste our time with an Instagram when we already <laughs> do enough on Twitter and Facebook? Okay. I, I've seen your Instagram. There's not enough to fill an Instagram. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? Follow John Mantel out on Instagram, okay? <laughs> it's, oh, wow. Do you want to see a cat laying in weird poses? <laughs> um, my cat is hilarious, okay? Thank you very much. Your cat is the devil. <laughs> Hashtag cats of Instagram. Hashtag Instacat. <laughs> Hashtag Instacrap. Damn. Nailed it. Wow. <laughs> yep. All right. And again, I don't want to be negative. I don't want to be ne- Let's focus on the positive here. No, that's our New Year's resolution. And yes. why don't you make a resolution to go to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating, a review, and then subscribe so you'll be the first to know when we drop a new episode. Yes. Bam. So follow those social media posts. Mm-hmm. Where again we hint at new episodes. Mm-hmm. Get them instantly mm-hmm. with your Apple Podcast subscription, mm-hmm. and then write a review so that more people can find our show. You listen in, and we'll get to experience. We'll have a whole community. Let's build this community of aspiring snobs. Let's do it together. Yes, doing it together, together. like the disaster artist. We're gonna take work. All these disparate things together, and it's gonna make a wonderful mess that people are just gonna laugh at. <laughs> But you know what? It's going to bring them joy. Yes. Welcome to our comedy podcast. (laughs) Yes, this is a comedy podcast. It was always meant Mm -hmm. to be funny, obviously. Mm -hmm. Yes, I hope you enjoy my comedy podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, hi, America. (laughs) Oh, hi, schedule. John, what do we have on the schedule for next week? Next week, in honor of the great American hero, Martin Luther King. 
we're going to be reviewing another pretty recent movie, Selma. Yes, the Academy Awards <laughs> ignored <laughs> Selma. <laughs> I, I, so I do mean, tune we, into that. And we, we, need, we need to experience the work of Ava DuVernay to get ourselves psyched up for A Wrinkle in Time. From yes. visionary director Ava <laughs> DuVernay. I, I, okay, yeah. So she's done two movies. Let's let's calm down. <laughs> Visionaries thrown around way too much these days. I know. Yeah. They should hire Barry Jenkins for something. What what is what is Barry Jenkins' next move after Moonlight? I've, he'll do smaller stuff. Yeah, I know. He should. And he should. He looks. Like, yeah. Let's let's keep him small. Okay. He doesn't need to be doing mm-hmm. a Marvel movie anytime soon. Yep. Disney's just poaching him up, grabbing him. Exactly. Poaching him. <laughs> Insert this awkward comedy in there. <laughs> What's what, what's a big franchise that Fox, they just bought from Fox? So they could just have him lead that. Oh, X Men, Fantastic Four, John List goes on. Barry Jenkins directing the next Alien movie. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> Done deal. Glad I signed off on this. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, happy New Year, everybody. Yes, and until next time, keep aspiring. <laughs>